Welcome to Talk It Out with Tab. I'm your host, Tab, creating a safe space for you to share your truth. Let's talk it out so we can walk into our existence of thriving together. Good people, today I have Mr. Jason Culp with us. He is a financial planner. He is personally my financial planner, um, the person who prepares my taxes every year. And he is also a dear friend of mine. I came to know Jason about 10 years ago, probably a little bit longer than that. Um, so not only do we know each other from a business standpoint, but we know each other from a personal standpoint. And I'm so excited to have him here with me today to talk about the uh, trending topic, or I, should I say the hashtag of Black Lives Matter, Matter. Thank you so much, Jason, for joining me today. Thank you, Tad. Thank you for, uh, you know, of course, welcoming me onto your show. Like you said, we've known each other for a while. This is a great opportunity to talk about uh, a subject that's really, I think, uh, you know, been out there in the, in the limelight and uh, just people want to know more information about. So specifically why I um, thought Jason would be a great person to discuss, um, you know, this this trending topic or hashtag. and. And I hate to call it a trending topic more specifically because um, for black people, for, for people that look like he and I, it's not trending. It's something that we have always dealt with. It's something that we have always been keenly aware of. Even as children growing up, um, you know, we are always aware of the racism that exists. And so, yes, there's now a hashtag attached to it. And with that being said, um, I have mixed emotions about that hashtag. You know, I, I understand the purpose behind it. I understand the movement behind it to bring awareness. Um, but I specifically wanted Jason to speak to it from the place of what that means to him, especially and specifically because he also has, um, he's married to someone who is in law enforcement. And oftentimes that Black Lives Matter um, phrase and movement is tied to um, in, in direct opposition with Blue Lives Matter. And I'm not sure that we have to make that distinction against each other rather. So I really wanted you to talk to that. Um, Jason, about having a spouse who is in law enforcement and, and what that balance feels like and if there is even a balance. Well, specifically, I guess, uh, starting with, uh, you know, like you said, the overall hashtag in and of itself. All right, I'm a, I'm a type of individual. I'm, of course, from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, my mother and father were, of course, born from the country part of Georgia. Uh, and so they come from the, the times in which um, you know, Black Lives Matter was hashtag they always have known about and taught us growing up as children. Um, and so from that perspective, when I look at it as an African-American male, in terms of how it affects me, uh, I've lived through some of the things that, you know, from a police, uh, dealing with police perspective that some, some of the people that are in Black Lives have dealt with. So for instance, having to be pulled over, um, you know, being identified as someone as being in the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, being questioned because of your skin color in terms of where you, you know where you should be and where you should be. So, mm -hmm. you know, having those types of feelings as African American male is something I've always seen, even you know prior to me becoming married with my spouse, who yes is in law enforcement. Uh, there's two parts of the story, uh, and one of the things I always tell people, and we always do have those conversations. 
is that you can't really look at it from a generalized perspective, right? It's not just a situation with police or all police. It's a situation where there are individuals within the police force or, or who, are, who are dealing with certain situations that may not uh, be the best people for those positions or be the best people for those times. Uh, and so for instance, you have a bad apple out of the bunch who uh, may have grew up in a different type of situation, doesn't understand how to deal within the black community or haven't had any experience from that perspective at all. Two parts of the overall story, right? There's the part where you have a situation where um, ideally, you know, you have people that are affecting black the black community in of itself, uh, but then in a situation where you have good cops doing what they need to do uh, from a perspective of doing their job, saving their lives, and doing specific things. So there's, for me, uh, a, a happy medium between the two because ideally what my spouse does, she works specifically with uh, child endangerment. So it's not something where she's more of a, you know, out in the streets or particularly focusing on locking up uh, people who may be doing wrong on patrol. She's more searching for people who are just doing crimes to children. And so for me, that's something that's impactful. It says, hey, if, if we didn't have these people out there that, that are doing these specific things, uh, then, you know, it, it could be a lot worse. And so I look at, at it from that perspective a little bit different versus someone who maybe is on patrol, was out there dealing with a lot of issues um, and uh, riling up the community in and of itself. So you said a couple of things that was that was key. Um, one, there, there are different layers to this topic, right? And so Black Lives Matter, you, you even spoke about your parents and how, you know, where they were born and how that shapes their narrative, how that shapes how they look at this um, this topic, or I shouldn't say topic, but really this reality of being Black and being endangered in America. And so I know you have that, that standpoint and this hashtag, um, it's so, I guess the reason why I don't feel like it, it, it has to be tied to Blue Lives Matter or tied to, well, All Lives Matter is because we have consistently been moving towards and consistently been advocating for our well-being as humans in society. And when you talk about your, your wife, specifically, um, you know, working in the field where she is trying to advocate for people who, um, or advocate for children rather, and she's going against people um, who may be hurting children, even in a situation like that, let's say she shows up on the scene and there is active abuse maybe happening and she has to physically intervene and, you know, something pops off, God forbid. God forbid something pops off. That's something that um, because of this hashtag, because of this, um, this sensationalized movement that's happening and really not getting to the root of, 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 of the advocacy for our lives and just um, almost, it, it feels almost like we are being desensitized to the crime that's happening to black men and black women. And even if a cop is in the space of, of actually protecting themselves, that can be taken out of context. 
that actually can be taken out of context. And, it, and it's terrible that the ones who are in society um, actually protecting and serving as they should um, are also endangered. They are also endangered when they show up to work every day. And it, it's, it's hurtful to us as a community as a whole for us to have endangerment on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, a lot of times, particularly when you look at news, a lot of times you get not all the flavors, right? You get a lot of the one-sided information. Uh, and of course, a lot of it uh, sometimes is it's eye-opening, particularly when um, an unarmed African-American male gets killed or gets choked out in certain, a lot of the cases we've had in the past. But you don't get a lot of the good that, the good that is actually being done in the community. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think if they were to promote that a little bit more, it would uh, shed a better light on how, I guess, both sides can really start to work together. Uh, because that's really what it would actually take to for just the, oh, both communities as a whole to do better, right? To people to come to the table, to have an agreement on what needs to be done within certain communities, how policing can be done better, how policing or police officers in and of, of themselves can actually be hired correctly. A lot of times, given the um, how much officers make, and you know, that's always a big thing is that you find that police officers do a lot of the dangerous work and don't really get paid for. And so yeah. you can imagine the group of people that you you bring in through the hiring process. Uh, a lot of times, these are people who, unfortunately, uh, it's like what you, it's the best you can get. And so sometimes the best that you can get may not be the most highly trained. They may not be people who actually are from these communities, which require a different aspect, particularly in African-American community, right? You can't, you gotta have somebody who knows the ropes. You can't have anybody that just doesn't understand ideally the lingo, how people work and move, uh, how to really identify aggression or if someone is really playing around or just joking. Uh, a lot of times when you have people that are from that community, they understand the community a little bit better. And so the policing can be a little bit better. It's not an aggressive tactic every time someone or uh, you deem to be a perp raises a voice or someone is doing something or they may run away because they're scared, but you don't understand why they're running. You think they may be reaching for a gun. So, I mean, it's a lot of things that go into it. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, you know, from my perspective, just being that, you know, knowing that my spouse and, and some of the people that she's worked with, I do understand some of the things that they actually have to uh, go through to even mm -hmm. just do their job. And it can be very, very hard when the stigma on them is like, hey, everything that you all do, um, you know, brings death to our community, which we know is not the case, but unfortunately, a lot of times that is what gets posted. And the people that are doing these things are, again, haven't been the best hires or not the best people for, for these particular positions. And I think I want to, I really want to make the distinction. I, I do believe, I agree with everything that you said. So training has not been effective. Right. We know that um, I, I have a background. My educational background is in criminal justice. And so I understand the training aspect of it. Um, I have also worked in my previous life. I've also worked in the criminal justice field um, as a paralegal, as well as an investigator. And so I do understand certain um, many different layers of it. But training is really, really poor. You have, you know, 
I've even witnessed in my previous life coming alongside of people who um, had very narrow mindsets. Um, they're doing this job because, you know, hey, it's a way for them to get paid and not necessarily because they have a love of people and not because they have a love of justice. And I think those are the kind of candidates that we need in the police force and even in the criminal justice system to begin to change the narrative, to begin to change um, how Black people um, specifically are viewed in the justice system. Because I think once you, once your concern is having a love for people and bringing justice to community, then that shifts. It no longer becomes about race and using or um, weaponizing the legal system to now oppress a particular group of people. And so um, I'm, I'm really happy that you said that and, and I'm really happy that we're able to have a candid conversation that it's not all police officers. And even the police officers who are there with that mindset to bring justice and also to have a heart and love for community, even those police officers or, the, uh, or the law, those law enforcement individuals are oftentimes um, targeted by other police officers who may not see it the same way, who may be trying to weaponize, um, you know, who, who may be trying to weaponize the legal system in order to oppress people. And so we have an uphill battle. We truly have an yeah, uphill battle. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I would agree. I mean, and then to it, it works to both sides. I mean, we even as a community have to do that in terms of how we uh, flame the fires uh, in certain situations. Because look, <laughs> you and I both know uh, everybody uh, is not, they're, they're not, everybody, all people are not good people, right? And so yeah. there are some people who, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, are in this world to whether it be do harm or do bad. And, you know, without having some level of policing around that, you know, that could be total anarchy. Uh, think about, I think a lot of times people talk about defunding the police. Well, again, you can defund the police, who are you going to call when, um, you know, that bad person, whether they're black or brown or white, comes knocking at your door uh, and you have nothing to protect yourself. Uh, and so, you know, that's a very, very uh, strong ideology that we as a people have to really look at versus saying, hey, uh, what can we do to ensure that there's some level of understanding on both sides and that people understand that, you know, it just, it's, it's just not about, you know, all, all police being bad. It's more, I believe, more about getting in the right people, uh, getting in the right training, even getting in the right tools, whether it be um, a non-lethal way of approaching specifics of people uh, prior to, you know, moving through the whole arresting process or even reprimanding police officers on a consistent basis or holding them more accountable in the legal system versus just a hand slap or a firing if something is done uh, and the whole process is looked at um, and the person that did it did it in a way that was too aggressive then they're, and you know, they're handed the, the full letter of the law. So I know a lot of police forces look at those things differently. It's mm -hmm. not a universal way of doing it. I think a lot of it comes from the head, whether it be the chief justice or uh, what we do from the White House down. Uh, but I mean, the whole legal system as it stands <laughs> just needs to be revamped. And I think that will also bleed down into the police uh, forces so that they can better service and just our community, um, you know, as a whole. 
and and see with the whole defund the police. This is why these hashtags, um, and and I get it. We use the hashtags so that people can find things. It's 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 the way we we search in social media now. And so that's why we have to be really careful with these hashtags, because with defunding the police, the idea that's out there is that um, you know that movement is all about taking funds away from the police. But just to bring some clarity, I think that that movement is allocating, reallocating funds from the police force, um, and reallocating those funds to provide a response team for when someone has been called, when there's someone who's mentally unstable, right? So they're not necessarily criminal in nature. They may be a threat and a harm to themselves or someone else, but having a medically trained um, team that responds when someone is mentally unstable and to de-escalate that situation rather than having it escalate to someone who's targeting us or someone who's using um, black men and black women as as um, target practice, you know, and that has happened in our community. And it's hard to turn a, a blind eye to it when you have a people who have felt oppressed and felt disenfranchised for a really long time. I mean, since well, the, the history of this country. And so it's hard to, um, it's hard to divide the two. It's hard to see a clear distinction between the two sometimes. Yeah, and I understand that. I mean, but one thing I will say is that, you know, the the ability of most police forces inherently, if you're not a big, a big city, um, particularly if you're small, these small rural counties, they don't have the ability to reallocate funds because even some of the budgets that they're working on right now are so small in nature. Uh, you'd be surprised the level of funding that most police get from uh, state government, mm -hmm. but they're required to do so much more. So, uh, if these programs that you talk about are to come into uh, existence, you know, there's going to have to be a more uh, an overhaul of how funds are allocated to the police force uh, to manage how they can build teams such as, you know, mentally, uh, you know, teams that actually view at mental states versus just a SWAT team going in to arrest a guy regardless if he's mental or not. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because you'll have a police force well, you'll have one officer wearing 10 hats. So, um, mm. you know, I, I definitely understand that. But a lot of times you will find that, you know, a lot of these cases that occur, if you really look into them, whether it be, you know, the officers that are committing these crimes, sometimes may even be overworked, have done multiple jobs, um, and their track record tends to, tends to grow negatively over time just based on, you know, being overworked or underpaid and things of that nature. So, I mean, it's a lot of factors that go into it. It'd be nice to have something like that where maybe you have a mental disbursement team. Mm -hmm. But the question is, you know, where's that money going to come from? Because a lot of times, because the taxpayers fund a lot of these programs for state government, uh, it, sometimes it's just not enough on how they allocate it throughout the whole government, state government. So. I think that's one thing that has to be looked at as well, too. You will, of course, go to that. And it's something that truly does need to be looked at. But, um, you know, maybe it's it's something that needs to be proposed. And, and we definitely need to figure out how to strengthen our police force. Because, yes, when our community does need the police to come out and protect us, we, we really need that.
But in the same breath, we don't want to have to call the police to protect us and also be afraid of our own lives. I mean, I'm sure you've been pulled over. I can speak from my experience as a Black woman. Like, I'm going to just be transparent. I, I used to speed a lot, okay? I used to speed a hell of a lot. And there have been many times I've been pulled, pulled over and I'm going to be transparent. During those times, I, my heart would race. I would be nervous because even right. though we talk about just um, police officers who may um, kill somebody wrongfully or, or abuse their power, and again, I want to make the distinction that they're good police and, they're, and that they're bad police, but if you're pulled over by the wrong cop, there are even cops who will assert their power and sexually abuse women that they pull over or ask for favors so that a ticket could get writ um, overwritten. I've heard of cases like that as well. And those cases don't really get much light, but I would truly be nervous. Oftentimes if I'm pulled over, I would slow down I would always look at where I'm pulling over. It was, it would always be in some place that is well lit, some place that has a lot of people around. Even if I have to go for another block, that's what I'm doing. And so, how have you felt as a black man sometimes being pulled over? Especially, you know, the fact that you're successful, you drive a luxury car, you have you do you have that same anxiety being pulled over? Uh, well, I mean, I think, you know, it's just something that's uh, inbred in any kind of individual when you see a you know, police officer pull up behind you or you get pulled over because ideally, mentally, you know something is going on, whether it be an expired tag or something. It's just basically something you're going to have to deal with, right? I've been pulled over by both African-American and white police officers, of which both have um, <laughs> done some, have done things different, but some have done things the same even African-American officers, some have been worse in terms of how they deal with you in terms of being pulled over than maybe a white counterpart. I've been mm -hmm. let go many a times by white officers, whether it been in my own city or out of state. And so I've been able to see a little bit of all different types. I mean, a lot of times when you, I guess from my perspective, when you think about the fear, you know, I think the fear only comes when you know you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And and ideally, you know. Oh, so like, you're gonna call me out for speeding, right? Right. So if I'm speeding, right, I know I'm speeding. I get pulled over. I, I mean, it's no argument there. I mean, I could try to argue that, but you know, there's no fear in that. It's that hey, I can try to talk myself out of a ticket, but I do. Mm -hmm. uh, if he gives me one, I will speed. Now, if I'm riding around with two keys in the car, right, two kilos of uh, you know whatever your favorite, mm -hmm. you know favorite for every drug of the day could be then that's a different situation it's a fear it's just saying hey either i'm going to get out of this situation or something different is going to have to happen so for me uh not so much fear uh you know just given my christian upbringing of you know in terms of how my parents brought me brought me up but just more of like uh being cognizant of the situation right if you mm -hmm. if you know you're being pulled over by let's say a white police officer out outside of your county, right? Mm -hmm. Do what you need to do. What you need to do to get home. You know, if he's asking you for your license, you know, license registration, provide that to him. You know, outside of that, if he wants to take that situation to a higher level, 
then that's more on him and in terms of me instigating the situation. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the things that my parents always told me is to, again, know your surroundings and your situation. And unfortunately, you have to know, you know, as a black man, you know, what need do I have to escalate this uh, if there's no reason for me to do so? You know, not 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 just say it might be just for my life, but just to, to you know, get on to, to, to the next scenario or move on uh, past this current situation. So when you said that, um, you're probably not going to like this statement just knowing you, but when you said that, two things that came into, into my mind. The first is... Um, I bet you if your if your license and registration was in your back pocket, you wouldn't be reaching for it or even in your glove compartment. Um, for me, as a black woman, if let's say my license was in my bag, I certainly wouldn't reach for it. I would stop, I would make my hands visible and I would say, sure, it's in my pocketbook um, or it's on, you know, it's on the side of the the you know on my chair you can reach okay, it and, and so, grab it so because so i want of, my hands to be visible at all times so think about this situation so if i get pulled over which i have before many a mm-hmm. times is that before the police gets there i already have my license and registration in my hand i stick it out the window i stick out my uh, concealed gun license because i keep a weapon on me at all times and so i provide that information okay. without, even the, without even the ask for it so that there's no there's no questioning. Here, here you go. Mm-hmm. So when you walk up, they already have the insurance card. The whole nine, right? It's that the proper planning prevents piss poor performance type of uh, mindset that I have, and mm-hmm. not to say that everybody has it to to you know reduce the level of anxiety or mm-hmm. uh, de-escalate a situation where I don't have to reach in my backpack. Because if I know someone's a police officer, I know that they're going to ask me for these things, particularly if I just got pulled over. It's just a given. Right, so mm-hmm. uh, that's just me. Everybody doesn't do that, and unfortunately, in this day and age, that's what you have to do. You know, you can't be reaching in your bag pocket if you just got pulled out of a car. You know, no, that you can't. Be. And again, a lot of times I have to think of myself, put myself in those shoes. Right, if I see somebody reaching for something, I'm trying to go home that night. <laughs> so, yeah, as a, as a police officer, I'm watching your hands and I'm watching what you're doing because you just don't know the type of person. Who you who you're dealing with? You right. can't assume that someone is nicer than the other. Anybody can pull a gun. Anybody can pull a weapon. Mm-hmm. The only thing I always told my spouse is that when she first started in law enforcement, is to make sure you come home. All right, make sure you come home. And so you know, I would assume that your training is good enough to let you assess the situation so that you know you make the right decision. So at the end of the day, you still can come home. And the second thing, those were good. Those were good points. Those were really good points that you made. Um, but you have that training of being prepared when, um, you know, when 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 you're being pulled over to have those things ready to not have to do that. And those are things that you were taught and you were raised to do. But the reality is, a lot of people aren't teaching their kids this, which is unfortunate. And if you were of a different hue, I bet that that would not be something that you would be taught and have ready. Um, it's just your experience and it's just who you are in society. But then also, as you've commented um, on you know, preparation 
and, and doing things to de-escalate the situation. And, you know, you could be pulled over because you're riding in the wrong neighborhood with a, with, with a car that, you know, somebody feels that you shouldn't be riding it. I, I mean, I know that has happened to my brother before in New York. He wasn't doing anything, wasn't under the, um, the influence of anything. He was actually going under the speed limit, just going home. It was pretty dark. There, there weren't a lot of street lights and still got pulled over and had um, an altercation with the police specifically because, um, you know, they asked to search the car and he was like, no, I know my rights. And um, God rest his soul, he's no longer here, but um, that was a situation that happened. But I, I wanna say, and I brought that up only to say that um, some of the things that you, you, you said triggered something in me. It's almost as if we constantly have to know our place or we constantly have to play a role to ensure our safety. And so well, preparation is different. Like preparation is different than knowing your place. Well, think about it like this. Family. Well, I think about it like this is defining, like you say, knowing your place, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I just talked about the the, the um, situation with being pulled over by the black officer as well, whether it's black or white. It's mm -hmm. you know, it could be something as simple as me going to visit a friend in a different unknown neighborhood, right? You know, it's not so much me knowing my place; it's just knowing that the world is what it is. It's is, is knowing that anything can happen at any possible moment and anyone can do it to you, whether they're black, white, Mexican, it doesn't matter. So, you know, like you say, some people may look at it as, okay, I need to know my place. So, you know, I ain't gonna do that. If he asks me for this, I ain't gonna give it to him. I'm gonna argue my way all the way through. Mm -hmm. Or you could be the guy that's probably prepared whether you get pulled over by black, white, Mexican police officer, police officer is on his bad day or one that's on a good day, uh, and you do what you need to do and, and move on, right? Because mm -hmm. it's that's just the society we live in. Because again, I always put myself in the other person's shoes. If I'm I'm getting paid thirty four grand a year to pull over a hundred cars in an unknown, a highly drug infested neighborhood on a consistent and daily basis, meaning I'm always on ten, uh, I think about what that guy's thinking about. The and so for every car, you. the odds are against you. For every car he pull over, if you pull over 100 cars, maybe out of those 100 cars, 10 may be someone who's either on drugs, uh, former felon, committed a crime, did something bad. And again, you can never tell who a person is by what they're there to cover their book. So again, you may walk up with someone who looks just uh, nice as all get out and that person can uh, potentially take their life. So I always, again, it's not so much knowing my place, it's thinking about two sides of the situation. What is that particular guy or gal thinking and what am I thinking? And hopefully we can come to a middle ground to ensure that you know both of us get home at the same time. And like you say, yeah, I've been pulled over just by driving while black. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I had, I've been, like I talked about earlier, I've been in the wrong neighborhoods, uh, or I've been, you know, driving home to take a shortcut through a highly drug-infested neighborhood and got pulled off just because I knew the land, the, the layout of the, uh, the, the area. So, um, you know, unfortunately, it's the world we live in, Tal, and I hate to say that, but it is. It's, it's, you got people who are protecting the community, but they're also, uh, 
you know, protecting their lives. And then you got the people that they're having to pull over mm-hmm. based on, you know, what's currently going on. So again, how can you find a medium, a middle ground? Being properly prepared. Not so much knowing your place, but being properly prepared, but also standing your ground if you feel something uh, is incorrect or someone is doing you wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, the best the best way you need you know the best way you know how wow wow this has been a really good conversation Jason um, I really appreciate you for sitting and talking to me from your perspective and just being honest about your experience um, you know and even even being transparent by saying you know sometimes you've dealt with a black cop and and, and even a white cop and and you know, sometimes what you're expecting from the white cop is not what you you get. You actually have a pleasant experience. They may let you go, where sometimes even a black cop might be um, aggressive, and maybe that's that's that again. I think it speaks to the the um, the training or lack thereof rather in the police department, and that's why I really don't think that we need to focus so much on it being all live versus black lives versus blue lives like yes we know that all of our lives matter and again these hashtags this this is why we know that all of our lives matter right but i think what we are crying out for as a community is to um stop having to always validate who we are stop having to always validate our right to not be marginalized in in society and you know, I commend you even for um, being honest about it and, and saying there are problems all across the board and we all need to shift our mindset so that we can come to common ground. Yeah, I mean, it, you're correct in that. I mean, uh, the, this, uh, the whole movement, uh, it's, it, to me, ideally it's still important, right? Because it helps people to recognize that, yeah, black lives do matter. Uh, it's not, uh, and we understand all lives matter. Yeah, but at the end of the day, uh, I think the movement of itself, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is doing what it needs to do by bringing recognition to the fact that, you know, black lives overall sometimes are marginally overlooked on a level mm-hmm. of importance, on a level of importance. And so I'm happy about the movement. I always talk to my wife and her friends or, you know, within the police department about it. Um, you know, some people may see it as a radical movement, but in and of itself, I think it's something that brings recognition uh, to people who know nothing about African Americans or how things are done within our own community. So, mm-hmm. um, I hope that it stays a movement that continues to grow in a positive manner and gets yep. people to understand that. Because at the end of the day, it bleeds into other communities, it bleeds into other races. And again, if you say Black Lives Matter. It affects the brown, brown community, whether it be Mexican yes. or Latino community. It helps them. It helps mm-hmm. those who, even the white individuals who are not as prosperous as some of their higher-paid counterparts. It helps their community. So it's, it's a movement. It helps that, every community that's exactly, disenfranchised. Yeah. Exactly. It helps every community that's disenfranchised. So uh, we'll see how we'll see how it plays out over the years. We'll see how it plays out. And, and, you know, the purpose of this was really to to advocate that, yes, we do matter, but also for us to not um, to break that that division that continues to happen in our society, that it has to be versus that 
you know, all lives matter versus black lives versus blue lives. Yes, we know that all lives matter, but we are um, endangered. We have been endangered for quite some time and we continue to ask to be seen. Um, again, not just black people, but every community that is disenfranchised, every community that's marginalized, we ask to be seen. And I think where we are is that we're tired of asking. I think where we are is that we are demanding to be seen, demanding equality. And um, I'm just thankful that we were able to have this on a on a you know a safe platform where we can be transparent, and even for you to give the different perspectives, especially of having a spouse in law enforcement and even a spouse who is not black, you are able to speak from it from the standpoint of look, you know, this is not just black or white. It, it, it is it is a layered discussion that we need to continue to have and we need to somehow come to the to the table to discuss it. We need to come to the table to meet in the middle to see where we are um, not seeing each other. So thank you, Jason. Thank you so much for your time today. That's no problem, Taz. It's been a wonderful opportunity. I look I look forward to uh, you know hearing more of your uh, informative podcast as time goes on and uh, and uh, of course, if you have any additional questions of me uh, as things change, uh, feel free to reach out. I certainly will. And people, I will also, as I mentioned at the top of this podcast, that Jason is a financial planner. Um, Jason, if you can just give a little bit of what it is that you do, because I'm also going to put his information in the in the link to the podcast so that you guys can check him out. Sure. Yeah. So overall, you know, my background as a financial planner, I've been in wealth management industry for over 13 years now. I've uh, been a practicing financial planner for eight of those uh, 13s. And primary focus is really helping people to recognize the resources that they currently have to blossom out uh, from a, a financial planning perspective, uh, meaning from the ground floor, working with individuals to figure out their cash flows and their asset allocation so that they can put them together to ensure uh, some higher level of financial security as time goes on. So that includes the gamut of retirement planning, investment planning, insurance planning. Uh, we bring in people uh, that help with estate planning as well. It really is uh, just an overall platform to ensure that people are planning. You know, our our uh, tagline and uh, really focuses on are you planning, right? That's the biggest thing I always talk to people because that is the starting point behind everything. Uh, whether it be you trying to understand the stock market, trying to understand uh, uh, your ability to buy a home, all that stuff flows in. So that is the, you know, primary foundation behind what I do. I love it. That's my passion. Uh, and of course, like I said, Tab, I'll give you some additional information that way you can send that out to your listeners uh, who are more than welcome to give us a contact um, and get, uh, of course, free consultations overall to figure out what they can do to move forward into this 2021, given all the issues we've had in 2020 to try to realign their finances and get back yeah. on track uh, for financial success. Awesome, Jason. Thank you so much for your time. I honor you, my brother. I thank you. This podcast may contain copyrighted material and may not have been specifically authorized by the copyright owner. This should constitute as fair use under Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Law. If you wish to use any material from this podcast and or site that go beyond fair use, you must obtain express permission from the copyright owner.